0: And so good afternoon from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar. My name is Michael Benner. It's a 4th of July holiday weekend. Today's July the 6th, 2008. And I hope you had uh, a happy 4th of July weekend and uh, are able to enjoy this last day of a nice long holiday weekend celebrating our freedom, our liberty, our independence. And the fact that uh, habeas corpus seems to apply to most of us, if not all of us. Just don't get yourself declared an enemy combatant. And uh it's a very interesting time politically. Uh You know, I also wanted to mention the 4th of July here in uh, Hawaii. I'm in, as most of you know, Maui. Uh, many, of course, familiar with the island may even know the area called upcountry, which are the slopes of the larger of the two volcanoes on the island of Maui, Haleakala Volcano. We're about 2,000 feet up the side of Haleakala. So it's a little cooler up here, eight to 10 degrees cooler. And uh, yet the history is fascinating in Makawao. As early as the um, well, 1830s, really, in 1840s, there were cowboys, mostly Mexican cowboys, uh, cattle and horses, on these islands, the big island of Hawaii, uh, Maui, and some of the smaller islands as well. But this area upcountry on Maui uh, had lots of cattle ranching. Even before the American West had cattle and horses and cowboys, there was no American West. This would have been before the American Civil War. So there's a long tradition. They have a rodeo up here, but again, it's... It's a little different than your standard American rodeo. Even the attitude people have toward animals here, and the environment. A Hawaiian cowboy, Paniolo, and uh, um, Paniolo, uh, Paniolo culture is fascinating. It really, really is. And for whatever reason, Fourth of July became a big deal over here. So there's parades. Heck, our downtown's only like three blocks long, but they have a parade and uh, lots of fireworks, and everybody's having a good time. So. I thought I'd share that with you, and again, I hope you're having a great holiday weekend here. Let's talk about our theme for the day today, which is getting stuck in confusion, and the vicious cycle of confusion and anxiety. We're going to have to start by defining a little bit of uh, terminology, and uh, then we'll move into this, and we'll talk about exactly how you free yourself from the feeling of being stuck and then prevent that from happening again in the future. Stuck is just um talking about I'm confused and don't know what to do because I'm confused and I don't know what to think and I'm confused and I don't even know what my feelings are. In fact I'd have to tell you the primary feeling is confusion. <laughs> so <coughs> excuse me. Is confusion a feeling? Is confusion a thought? Confusion as I'm using it uh, is a level of ignorance or lack of awareness, not understanding that, uh, that we get stuck in because while it comes out of anxiety and stress, it promotes more anxiety and stress into a vicious cycle that we, like a tornado, you know, that glug glug when you flush the toilet and it spins around and around and goes down the drain. That sucking, pulling, cyclonic, uh, effect that, that we all know in our lives when we're confused and feel stuck is what I want to talk about today. And then how, of course how to get out of that and, uh, do it consciously and then how to avoid that happening in the first place. Since there will be confusion, everybody's going to be confused. I haven't read much about this in my life it's pretty much my model or my paradigm I'm surprised that the vicious cycle of anxiety and confusion or fear and ignorance if you want to just roll up your sleeves and get down to it um is not more commonly discussed uh fear certainly is a frightening word and most people have a hard time considering that even small amounts of anxiety a little bit of apprehension A tiny amount of nervousness is fear to some extent. It is. We need to, I think, to use the word fear, we need to understand that it's not only big, you know, overwhelming, uh, dominating uh, sense of danger, that it could just be a little touch of anxiety or apprehension. Let's not mince the word. Let's face our fear and use the word fear. It's a very important, all-inclusive word for stress, anxiety, nervousness, worry, doubt, apprehension. I just don't know. And how does it feel not to know? Sort of scary. Well, what does scary do? What does fear do? It confuses you even further. Oh, no. Well, that's pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> and around and around we go in this vicious cycle of fear and anxiety now it probably would be a lesson for another day to spend any great amount of time talking about the original source of fear and I think it probably would be as I think about it now that to go there would almost be to try to get two shows jammed into one so uh, I won't do that in any uh, to any great degree but i do want to talk about anyway the original source of fear what are we afraid of Uh and again a synonym an all-inclusive term for stress anxiety nervousness worry doubt apprehension i made a list once and i gave up after about 35 or 40 synonyms for, uh, for fear i was i was getting down to uh Things like the willies and the heebie-jeebies and the cold sweats. There are so many terms for fear. And technically, in the world of psychology, fear is a response to a danger real or imagined. Whereas anxiety is a response to things unknown and a lack of awareness. But... Um, they feel the same way and so for our purposes we can use fear to be sort of a again all inclusive all encompassing word for anxiety and stress and nervousness and and worry and doubt and apprehension okay got it so whether it's big fear or little fear what is the what is the source where does fear come from and from a philosophical point of view fear is the result of spiritual beings incarnating into separated physical forms. In other words, fear is a byproduct of living on earth, of being in these bodies. So everybody's afraid. We're disconnected. As spiritual beings, we're part of an ocean of oneness. There's just one thing at work here, the one life. Religious people say the one God. Uh, In Chinese philosophy, it's, uh, again, the one life. Or in uh, Hinduism, they talk about the one central play. We discussed this a few weeks ago. All the world's a stage, and the women and men are but players with their exits and entrances. Uh, Hinduism has a sense of life being this great play. Chinese philosophy, it's a living thing. Western philosophy and religion especially the religion that is uh, Christianity, born out of Judaism and uh, also Islam all of these are more a a redemption a a refinement or, or an improving of the human character as it drops into form it seems that we get very confused and very frightened and so much of what religion and spirituality is about is reorienting ourselves when we find ourselves in these bodies and face the adversity and the conflict that goes with living in a separated world. Think about this now. If you're new to philosophy, you got to massage your brain a little bit. You are separated. Everything is separated. We live in a world of separated form. You might say, well, how could it be otherwise? Well, you might want to consider that fish live in an ocean of forms that aren't really that separated. They live in this one ocean of water. Are there separated forms within the ocean? Well, I suppose to some degree. But you could also see the ocean as one thing. Well, spiritually, women and men have understood that reality is just one thing, spiritually, an ocean, if you will, of spirit. And when we incarnate, when we drop into form we are ripped from the bosom of that oneness and thrown into these separate bodies and sometimes given the trauma of birth it's a very terrifying experience to suddenly be be born from your mother to have that cord cut and uh you know bright lights and stainless steel tables and off you go to the nursery little man and by the way there's the trauma of uh uh, silver nitrate dropped in your eyes and we won't even get into circumcision with no anesthesia and the, and the still uh traumatizing effect of being dropped into form so to find yourself as a spiritual being uh, suddenly limited in form in time and in space none of which exists on the other side of the veil so to speak has to be a frightening Experience, and this is the root source, spiritual separation anxiety. Those of you taking notes write that one down. spiritual separation anxiety, okay, you've heard of separation anxiety. the kid doesn't want to go to kindergarten, he's afraid, mommy, stay, don't leave me here don't ab- don't abandon me well I'm saying we all have a sense of that spiritually of having been abandoned on this planet and In our whole lives, we're reaching out for contact. We're reaching out to hold a hand. We're reaching out for a hug. We're we're reaching out for an embrace that would help us to feel not so alone, but uh, rather unified or harmonized. That's the longing that is love. On an emotional level, but also on a spiritual level. The longing of uh, the part to be whole. By the way, it just occurs to me, I, I want to recommend uh, The Holy Longing by Connie Zweig, who I got to know pretty well, having interviewed her a couple of times on KPFK. Remarkable woman and a great book, The Holy Longing by Connie Zweig. Z W E I G, Connie Zweig. That's that's a great book. She just says all of our appetites and all of our desires, our aspirations, our appetites, and our longing really comes from this ultimate separation, the great separation, if you will, uh, when the physical universe was formed and we started getting dropped down into it. Okay. So having said that, let's just look at our daily life and affairs in terms of what are you afraid of? I don't know. That's the point. Okay, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, the vast majority of the time, 90, 95% of the time or more, when we ask ourselves or if someone else were to ask of us, well, I see you're a little nervous there, Michael. You're a little worried and... uh What are you so worried about? What are you afraid is going to happen? And I go, I, I really don't know. I think that's the point. To get that fear is born of things unknown, that all fear is fear of the unknown, my goodness, is just a huge leap in psychology and philosophy and theology and anthropology and sociology and education. Just understanding the human condition is that all of our anxieties and our stresses and our fears are about things unknown. Plus the exceedingly rare instance of real danger. Now, the subconscious mind of the brain, it's probably best to talk about the brain, uh, it doesn't know the difference between confusion and real fear. And so, anytime we're confused, the brain thinks there may be some danger in there, you see. And it looks for the danger. In fact, the Mental dialogue that you tend to get when you're anxious and stressed and worried is so negative because the brain is wired to look for the danger in the confusion. Where is the danger? And sometimes you'll see it. I mean, if you were walking down an alley and came around a corner and there's a rabid dog growling at you and drooling, I mean, that's real danger. So now we understand that fear, right? Or you're in a bad neighborhood and it's starting to get dark and there's a bunch of people gathering under the street light, you know, with blue rags and on the other end of the street a bunch of people are gathering with the uh, red colors and you go, Uh-oh, I, uh oh, I, you know, and I said, someone might say to me, well, Michael, what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? I don't see any danger here. I said, well, I see a lot of potential for danger and it's, uh, you know, imaginary danger, that's good. Uh, so i got to get out of here. That's that. Fear of flying is a great example. We all know statistically that you're safer in an airplane than you were driving to the airport or even walking through the terminal, and yet it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it to some people. They get the uh, fear of heights or the claustrophobia. They start thinking about, Being in this tube up in the air, oh man, I could do a thing. (laughs) Uh, The fears of flying, I've worked with a lot of people. And often these are are, our fears and our phobias that the psychologists and psychotherapists work with are really like um, symptoms or, if you will, allegories for this larger set of, I'm separated from the one life and I'm terrified and I don't know what's happening, and I don't know why it's happening. And So to say all fear is fear of the unknown, except for the exceedingly rare instances of danger, clear and present danger, is a very, very important point for you to understand. That's what fear is by any name, anxiety or stress or nervousness and apprehension and confusion. That's what it is. It's things unknown, so all fear is fear of the unknown. Actually, even when it comes to the real clear and present danger, what you're truly afraid of is what you don't know about the danger. The more you know about a given danger, the less frightened you will be. And so knowledge is the antidote to fear. Okay, that's Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of my favorite quotations. I only have about 500 favorite quotations. That's one of them. Knowledge is the antidote to fear. He didn't say guns is the antidote to fear. He didn't say power is the antidote to fear. Right? He said knowledge. Imagine if Ralph Waldo Emerson were the president of the United States on 9-11. Instead of we're going to get them, bring them on, smoke them out of their caves, he would say, you know, all we have to do is be knowledgeable. We have to be smart. We have to be intelligent. You see, and think this thing through. Uh, do something very few Americans have done even now. Why are we being targeted? You see, get that knowledge. Why would they want to hurt us? Bush says they hate us for our freedoms. You can't really believe that, or they'd be attacking Sweden. You see, uh, they're attacking the United States for a very good reason. For its foreign policy, and I'm not going to spin off into that. I'm just saying that if somebody's terrorizing you the best thing you can do is know them, okay understand them and understand yourself and understand the bigger picture. knowledge, understanding, insight, and what Allah argue ultimately is love, a quality of understanding and insight, a connection of every seemingly separated thing. To every other seemingly separated thing, that connection is spiritual love. And that such things could not be connected, of course, is the illusion of being here in form. And we've already defined that as the ultimate source of the fear. Okay, So what am I afraid of? Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, unless you're facing some clear and present danger, or some rather specific imaginary danger you're going to find yourself coming up with, well, I just don't know. Right? Now, confusion, or I don't know what I'm afraid of, is a scary feeling. So now the brain, which is wired to begin to look for the danger in that confusion, generates more fear, which generates more confusion and more fear and more confusion and more fear. And chugga, 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 chugga. You can, the note takers write that down. Just write... Stress and then right beneath it you can put confusion and draw a arcing arrow from stress to confusion and another curvy arky arrow from confusion back to stress and you can see how anxiety and confusion begins to spin. Alright. Now, as I said before, fear is a frightening word and well, confusion is a confusing word. Uh, ignorance is an insulting word. I think I'd like to call anxiety and confusion fear and ignorance, but you may want to stay with anxiety and confusion. If uh, fear is too scary a word and ignorance too insulting of a word, Uh then just call it anxiety and confusion as we have been. But if you want to just get down to it, get down to the nitty-gritty and, hey, what's it really all about, uh You know, we can not mince words and use really powerful words. It's fear and ignorance. I'd like to suggest to you that every human problem is born of and supported by this vicious cycle of fear and ignorance. Anxiety and confusion, if you wish. Fear and ignorance. Every single problem in the world is supported by fear and ignorance. I used to, uh, back in the day, in the 80s on KLOS, I would, in my, uh, late night talk shows, uh, often put this out as a challenge. It went on for years. Name one human condition, one problem, one conflict or adverse circumstance that is not born of and supported by a vicious cycle of fear and ignorance. And nobody was ever able to do it few people few people ever even tried and yet, why is this not better understood that the to solve a problem, what we need to do at the very beginning, regardless of the nature of the problem, is take a look at the tornado, the cyclone, the vicious cycle a fear and ignorance that is spinning around the situation. And we'll talk about the antidote and how to get there. But this is so important to understand that there is a problem that unifies all problems. There is a problem, that may not be the best way of saying it, (laughs) there is a problem that supports or underlies every other problem there is, any problem you could ever have. Because if you knew what to do, if you were facing a problem and you weren't confused, it wouldn't be a problem. You'd know the answer, or you'd have a set of good choices, and you'd make the choice and you'd move into it, you see. You wouldn't be stuck. But the very fact that I'm confused and I don't know what to do, I'm ignorant or unaware. Ignorant is not stupid. It just means to ignore, to look the other way. Often we're in denial, and we don't want to know the truth about things. It's another part of the problem. But let's stay with the most fundamental, rather than tripping off into all the psychological variations. The most fundamental aspect of this is that fear is a feeling or a set of feelings that corresponds with things unknown. So why are you nervous? Why are you worried? Why are you stressing out? Why are you so frightened? Okay? Why are you having these phobias and these panic attacks? And you keep coming back with, I don't know. That's exactly the point. I mean, doesn't this give you insight into Roosevelt? And the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, the unreasoning uh, madness of this vicious cycle of fear. And uh it's just so profound. And even the so-called New Age community, you know, the Oprah uh, New Agers and the Human Potential people, they say, oh, that's so negative, we don't want to go to the negative. Well, I'm sorry, it's not, <laughs> it's just, it's not just negative, it's not just fear. That's a feeling that goes with things you don't know. And if you don't know something, you've got to face the fear to understand it. So this fear of fear in the New Age community and everything should just be love and light and tra-la-la and don't worry, be happy, uh, is, is Outside of the proper context is just a lot of blue sky. The way to get positive and goal-oriented is to first face the fear. First look at what you do not know about a situation and, more importantly, about yourself. To respond to fear by saying, well, what is it I don't know About the elements around me is an intelligent approach, but the heart and soul of the fear is what do I not know about me, don't you see? So knowledge is the antidote to fear. Knowledge of yourself is really the most important element of that. That's the heart and soul is what do I not understand about me? And often we don't want to know the truth. We're so busy playing a role or a character with the appropriate masks and costumes that we forget that we wrote this character and we could rewrite it. We could uh, be another character. We could stop telling those same old stories. You are more than the stories you tell about yourself. Believe me, I've got lots of stories. And, (laughs) you know... There's more going on here than those stories and the characters that we play. Now, if you look at the way fear promotes ignorance and the way ignorance being so scary promotes fear, or, again, in the same way, anxiety promotes confusion, causes us to be confused, and that confusion, being scary, creates even more anxiety. It's sort of the mental the the it's you can almost think of the fear or anxiety as being the emotional side and the ignorance or the confusion being the mental side. Okay. So the fear or anxiety is creating the the confusion and the ignorance and the, the lack of awareness the difficult we have few words for that. Uh confusion or lack of awareness or not understanding something. Uh, again, we're not talking about stupid or not having a capacity. Usually, it's I just don't want to know. I'm looking the other way. La la, fingers in the ears. La la la, monkey no see, <laughs> no ears. Speak no evil. Um, so get, get get clear on this. The way each feeds the other, and you get this little cyclone. Okay. Now, the antithesis of Well, let's start with the confusion or the ignorance. The opposite of confusion would be, well, as we've already stated here by quoting Emerson, knowledge, or I think even better said understanding. I think if Ralph Waldo Emerson were in the room right now, I could say, hey, Ralph, can we call this understanding instead of knowledge? And I think he'd let us do that. Okay, it's a more complete word. You can have knowledge without understanding. And uh, I suppose you could have understanding without a lot of knowledge, but then your understanding is limited to what you do know. So uh, it's a little more inclusive term. Yes, I have knowledge and I understand this particular um, knowledge set. So the antithesis of confusion or ignorance is knowledge or understanding. And the antithesis of fear has to be to feel safe and relaxed. This is inner peace, and it's often called love. So the antithesis, the exact opposite of fear and ignorance, is love and understanding. And notice here we have the same kind of cycle. Those of you who are taking notes may want to write down this cycle beside the first one. But make the arrows go in a different direction. Just put love or peace. Peace of mind, inner peace. Alright, love is a word that's been so overused we're just, we get stoned when somebody starts talking about love. We don't even know what it means. Just inner peace. Put down inner peace. And underneath it understanding and connect them with the arcing arrows that go in the opposite direction. But notice that just like Fear creates confusion. That creates more fear and more confusion. That peace of mind, a quiet brainwave state of low stimulus with your eyes closed and slow deep breathing and feeling safe and relaxed, promotes insight and awareness. All of a sudden you get this bungling. oh, I understand now. And then the follow on to that is, well, how does it feel to understand?
1: Ah, oh, well,
0: you know, it sort of feels pretty good. I can put down a lot of this stuff I've been dragging around. I can drop this fear, which promotes more insight and understanding, which allows you to relax and feel even safer, more peace, more inner peace, more understanding. That whole process is love. These are the vicious cycles, well one's a vicious cycle, and I'll say the other one is the upward spiral. okay. These two cycles are the dynamics of love and fear, okay. Love and fear have to be more than words, they have to be processes. What does it mean to be afraid? How do I get stuck in fear? And what is real love and understanding and wisdom? How do I get to that? You see? And then stay there and ride the, 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 the currents of this gentle uplifting, this refining nature of love and understanding, of inner peace and understanding. And avoid falling back into the fear as much as possible, though life is such that you will but you can see it coming, you can anticipate it, you can plan for it, strategize it and that's what we'll give you today, a strategy as Mr. Bush would say a strategery, we'll give you a strategery today <laughs> to help you avoid falling most of the time into the pits of fear and confusion feeling stuck in there and when we do, how to, uh, to get out, because there's a path out alright, so here we have. This is the. This is really the essence of the presentation here today in the mystery school. Is you've heard a lot about love and fear. You open up Course in Miracles, most books on uh, spiritual fulfillment talk about the the two aspects, the two poles, if you will, the polarities of love and fear, and to work with those is really really rich very, very powerful, powerful core again, it really goes beyond psychology into philosophy to work with these dynamics so fear is not just a word or a state or a condition, it's a dynamic the emotional nature of fear not only comes out of confusion, born originally as I've argued of just being in a separated world, spiritual beings trapped in these what did Sting call them? Soul cages. That's what we are. We're imprisoned on earth. We're all prisoners of form here. And that's scary. Do you get that? That's really scary. But it comes out in a variety of situations where we're confused and don't know something, which creates more fear and more ignorance, more anxiety, more confusion, round and round it goes. See how each feeds the other. Okay. Think about feedback. If you put a PA microphone too close to the output speaker, then just the sound of air going by the microphone gets amplified and put back into the microphone gets amplified again and you get that screeching feedback sound. Well, when your life feels like that, this is what's going on. Things that you do not know and understand, mostly about you, not your circumstances. The real scary stuff is things unknown about yourself. promote more fear more ignorance more fear out of that more ignorance round and round it goes and we end up saying I'm terrified but I don't know why I'm confused I don't know what to do and I feel stuck as if it's holding on to me and what you're stuck in is the center of that vicious cycle but here's the good news it's not holding on to you you're holding on to it because the fight-or-flight response, what do we do with fear? Where do we carry fear? Tight muscles. That's a holding on. That's an attachment to. Truth is, <laughs> when you don't know something and it frightens you, you hold on to it even tighter. Okay. So, the beauty of these models is that, and the reason they feel so valid to people who are on the path, is you have the same uh promulgation or promotion the same dynamic from exactly the opposite point of view with inner peace and understanding just as fear promotes ignorance and ignorance promotes fear the antithesis of that is love promotes understanding the more peaceful and relaxed you are the more likely you are to have those little epiphanies where you go oh I get it the response to which is to feel safer and relaxed and then have even more insight and understanding. And so you need to get the dynamic of that cycle too. But as we've called fear and ignorance, a vicious cycle that pulls us down and we get stuck in that, the love and understanding lifts us up. It's not a vicious cycle, it's a gentle upward spiral refining in nature. Where the essence of spiritual love is magnetically lifting you to a more refined state, a more insight and more understanding, which makes you feel safer. And now that you get it, now that you have in your mind, or maybe even on a sheet of paper in front of you, these, these two opposites, if you will, they keep referring to the antithesis, the opposite, these two very different opposing cycles, if you will. Uh notice that one pulls you down and one lifts you up and then the question has gotta be, well, how do I get from one to the other? Okay? How do I get from fear and ignorance to the peace and understanding? Hold on one sec here. I wanna refresh the numbers and just see where we are in terms of numbers. Good, got a good turnout today. More people on the phone than usual. That's great. Nice to be here. Nice to have you here on the holiday weekend, and I see some people are checking in, too. So we'll go to the uh uh telephones here in a minute. And uh I don't mean that. What I mean is, you know, the comments that you're typing in there. So if you haven't done so, just put in your first name the city and, and uh, a little question or comment, and I'll go to those in just a second. So we've created these... Um, this concept, this model or paradigm of these two cycles, one is clearly negative, the other one is clearly positive, one is fear-based, one is love-based, one is about what you do not know, the other is about what you do know, okay, couldn't be simpler. Now the question is, how do I get from one to the other? And if it were simple enough, I could remember it, and it would be easy to remember, and I could do it again and again and again. And I could even create an identity of one who transforms fear to love. I could be the one in my life, at least for me, that lifts everything unknown to something understood. And so the new approach, the new age, if you will, although this is an ancient concept that needs rediscovery in this age of technology, of fighting fear is not to vanquish it or defeat it. This is not St. George and the Dragon, where good conquers evil. This is a whole new concept of eradicating fear, ignorance, the problem that underlies all problems, to varying degrees by redeeming it by refining it by lifting it into something you understand by understanding what you hadn't understood the fear is converted to love and that's the spiritual warrior not good vanquishing evil so much as understanding eliminating ignorance in a spiritual sense this is alchemy. This is, um, this is redemption. We talked a little about this at Easter, and we talked about the goddess Esther a few months ago, and life eternal, and uh, the mystery of Calvary as, I would say, uh, twisted or perverted by the church. As if redemption is something that happens once when you die. I would have you consider the possibility that the concepts, the lessons of Calvary, so-called, the concepts of redemption have to do with redeeming every problem, every fear that you have in your life. Some days that might have to happen several times that you redeem yourself, that you lift your personal fear into personal love by facing the fear which represents what you don't know about yourself, and using states of deep relaxation, inner peace, Christ consciousness, the alpha brain wave state, we call it paradise. All right? That inner place of perfect peace, to realize, to see what you hadn't see, seen before. You know, like here comes the light. Oh, I see, gosh, it must have been here all along, but I was confused, I didn't see it, it was too dark here. But I closed my eyes and I began to see, uh, safe and relaxed. There's more light in here now. I oh my goodness, look at that! Oh gee. And as you understand what had not been understood, fear vaporizes and becomes love and peace, the contentment, the fulfillment that everybody's looking for. Okay, so. Having laid that out, we just need the tracks. Well, you know how a railroad, this is how I remember this, because there's only two two tracks. To go from the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance to the sweet, gentle, upward spiral of inner peace and understanding. There's just two tracks. And like a railroad has two tracks, railroad, R Roy Rogers, railroad. The two tracks are relaxation. And responsibility I first conceived of this model 25 years ago and I've taught it informally uh, to individual clients I've taught it in classroom situations I've taught it in career trainings when we trained women and men in a one-year long classroom training to do this meditative hypnosis material as a career it was a I think a lot of you know about it. Many of you may have even been in some of those classes. Uh, A career training in meditative hypnosis, really to go beyond uh, hypnotherapy to include uh, a receptive state, a meditative receptive state, in addition to the manifestation of the law of attraction and the magnetic state of self-hypnosis and such. about uh, relaxation, responsibility. Again, those of you taking notes, write those two words down. Relaxation and responsibility is the way out. I'm stuck. How do I get out? How do I get unstuck? First of all, remember when you're stuck, you're really holding on. Uh, again, forgive me. I just think this is profound. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And then I began to remind myself of that again and again. Whenever I felt stuck and helpless and victimized and started blaming somebody else for my condition, at some point I would have the opportunity to reorient myself and say, well, wait a minute, maybe I'm not a victim in this situation. Maybe it's not being done to me. Maybe I'm not stuck. Maybe I'm holding on. Gosh, these muscles sure are tight. That's why they call it stress and pressure, right? We carry our fear. We carry our ignorance. All the things we don't know about ourselves, we carry in tight muscles. Okay, So to relax those muscles is the very first thing. And whether we call it meditation, introspection, reflection, contemplation, self-hypnosis or some other closed-eye process we learn in yoga or martial arts or accelerated learning or sports psychology or biofeedback. Come on, gang. It's all about breathing and letting go, isn't it? <sighs> Never underestimate relaxation. It lifts you. A breath, a single breath will lift you to a significant degree from our confinement and separated material form to a liberation as spirit. A single breath, you can feel your sense of self shift from a sack of meat, forgive me, a bag of protoplasm, sitting here, separate from everything else in the world, to a sense of vitality, to the sparkly, dancing, uh, energy that is everywhere equally present. Okay. How cool is that? So relaxation, and then responsibility, that's the other track. There are two tracks, relaxation and responsibility. To take us from the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance to the gentle upward spiral of peace and understanding. It's relaxation and responsibility. Responsibility is ownership. It's uh, the abandonment of blame. And uh, to give up helplessness and victimization and to see your role in creating a situation, now, let me just add this, and then we'll go to the comments and questions, and then we'll do a little exercise to install this um, the uh oh damn it just flew right out of my mind. that tends to happen sometimes <laughs> sometimes I haven't had my coffee. well, I'll think of it in a minute. The uh responsibility, yeah, here we go, thank you. When I relax, my memory improves, don't you see? Uh, responsibility does not mean you're to blame. This is one of the, I mean, it may, but I don't really like the whole context. And this is one of the issues that I had with the movie and the book, The Secret, is that, and, and the Hicks material, is that they suggest that you are absolutely responsible for everything. Now, that may be on some. Cosmology, but I think it's way too severe. You know If I have a client who believes she is a seeker, let's say this happened to me, and she came to me the day after she had been raped in her own home. Somebody broke her house, somebody she knew it turns out, and raped her he raped her, and she came to me taking responsibility and saying it was all her fault, and she was to blame. And, no, she didn't really do anything. Well, no, she didn't really say anything. And no, she wasn't dressed provocatively. And no, she wasn't flirting. But cosmically, comically, and I said, girl, put it down. Stop it. That's not how you approach this. All right. What we need to understand when we talk about responsibility is not shifting blame from other to self. It's abandoning blame to take responsibility. Abandoning the concept altogether in favor of, I can't do anything about it now, because it's already happened. I can't control the stimulus, but I can't control my response. I can't control the wind, but I can trim my sails. I can't change the weather, but I can dress for it, you see. You've heard me say this a hundred times. It's really, really important. So, Responsibility is, maybe I created this situation. Maybe karmically and cosmically I invented this whole thing. I need to take some responsibility for that. Maybe I contributed to it. Maybe I didn't create it, but I certainly contributed to it. And I need to take some responsibility for that. Then thirdly, you know, maybe I really am a victim. Maybe I was blindsided by this. Maybe there is an element of chaos and randomness in the universe. But whether I created this, or contributed to it, or was blindsided by it, I have the ability to choose my response. And that's responsibility. Now responsibility is spelled response IBI, ability, but response ability, play with the word a little bit, is your ability to choose a response. Whether you created this cosmically, and you believe that's the, that, that you, that you bring it all on. It's just perfect, right? Or maybe you were a co-creator. Maybe you and the others around you were all participating in the creation of this. And maybe there's even an element of randomness here. But it doesn't really matter because you can choose a response. You can't control what's done to you. How much stress comes from trying to control the stimulus? rather than choosing our perception and response. Okay. So that's responsibility. You put those two together. Relaxation. Turn away from the world of stimulus. Close your eyes. Go inside. Find that place of inner peace, and you'll have the understanding. You see, all you have to do is relax and choose your responses relaxation, responsibility, the two tracks, the railroad, if you will, relaxation and responsibility that take you repeatedly from the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance to the upward spiral of love, peace, truth, and understanding. Well, let's look at our folks. we got got Jim on the Big Island. Aloha. Good morning, Jim. Hi to Colleen and uh, Sugary for us there. Out of Pittsburgh, John, of course, is with us this morning. Hello, John, in Pittsburgh. Good afternoon. Out of Irvine, Robert, good morning. Carol in Mahabra is with us, just saying hi. Um, looks like a fellow, another fellow Hawaiian here, Jim in, it says the Puna District. And he's talking about Pema Chodron's book that he believes is called Getting Unstuck. I'm familiar with Pema Chodron, but um, not this specific book, but Jim's recommending it, Getting Unstuck, all about this very subject, and talks about the source of fear. And uh, Jim says that she says that it's the fear that comes from being in the moment. Uh, the ego recognizes that being in the moment is a threat to its existence. Yes, no question about it. So that's just said a different way. Fear is born of our experience of being separated, which is so unreal and so unnatural, um, that it's nothing short of an absolute illusion. And when you hear philosophers talk about the illusion of life, or life is a delusion, or just a dream, it doesn't mean that it's not a very important dream. <laughs> it's a pretty significant delusion. Uh, it has purpose and it has meaning. But you'll be waking up from it one day. Uh, Robert in Irvine says, uh, Michael, in your opinion, uh, opinion uh, does the ego come into existence through spiritual separation anxiety? Does the ego feed off fear, worry, and anxiety? And ideally, if these were overcome, would the ego cease to exist? Great stuff, Robert. Thanks. Let me uh, talk about that in sort of the reverse order. Uh, the ego would, uh, cease to exist without the fear. Uh, fear and ego are really, again, all, uh, born of the same, uh, conundrum here, haven't been dropped into form. This is, uh, this is really, if you consider that Eden was heaven, and that the uh, allegory of Adam and Eve eating of the fruit is basically giving permission to go into carna- incarnation. And uh that's when they suddenly become ashamed they get they go from spiritual bodies to uh, ethereal bodies and physical bodies, and um that's that's when the shame comes in. just another kind of fear, so yeah, ego exists only in form, and I don't know of anybody in form who doesn't have an ego. I think even the great masters, Buddha had to transcend his ego and talk about how to do that. Uh, The Master Jesus, of course, was tempted. One of the great stories of Christianity, Uh, often mistold and misunderstood, because they have this entity and they're called the devil that tempts Christ. But that's your ego. You know, get thee behind me, ego. That's what that's about. If people knew that this little devil guy was, (laughs) was the part of you that identifies with physical form and. Robert's right. It loves fear. You know, that's why you hold on to it. Why would the ego hold on to something that it didn't really love? It loves fear. It loves separation. And uh, it's terrified of you discovering who you really are. So in the Western mystery traditions, we don't kill the ego. We comfort it. We marry it. We cuddle it. We spoon with it. We give it a big hug because you've you got uh, you to have an ego. You just don't want it running the show. That's all. And, uh, let's see, does it come into existence through spiritual separation anxiety? I wouldn't say it that way. I think that, uh, what I'm calling spiritual separation anxiety is the result of the ego coming into existence. And, uh, don't really know exactly how that works, but the wisdom suggests that, uh, to a large extent, it's, uh, a volunteer program that, uh. If soul is going to advance from its place between spirit and matter toward the so-called father aspect, if the soul is going to unfold and evolve, it has to drop into form and face this fear and understand its identity as the redeemer, as the magician, as the um, the disciple, as the the spiritual self that appropriates the ego. You see, just. Like I say, let it ride in the back seat. Special days, you can let ego ride shotgun. Just don't let it drive the car. Greg in Mission Hills. Uh, Good afternoon, Greg. Nice to hear from you. He said, uh, my dad just returned home from double bypass surgery. And he says I was in charge of helping him with his recovery for the last week or so. And then taking care of him, realized that his biggest problem." in his recovery was not his body, but his reason to recover. Very good, Greg. I don't doubt that. What does uh, what does he have to look forward to in his life once he has healed physically? Um, this has been the question that I've noticed in his life long before he had the surgery, and I can't make him look into his life and get to know himself on that deep level of knowing. I've learned a great deal about myself from this experience and knew that it was a learning experience when going into it. This is for my dad to be motivated to look into himself in his life, but I'd like to help him with the motivation. Uh, Possibly some good questions to pose to him. He's probably too fearful to look at himself, emotions, why he does and think what he does and, and patterns of behavior and so on. And my learning experience is to see how painful a life unexamined can be. Yeah, That's Socrates, right? Life unexamined is not worth living. Up close, very personal, and gain uh, compassion. And there it is, understanding for it. And I hope you're well. Thank you, uh, Greg. Say hi to Julie for us. Uh, we are indeed. Well, there's a lot there. You know, there's a saying that not too many people come out of bypass surgery thinking they should have spent more time at the office in other words I would look for a tendency for the trauma and the shock of having to go through this whole process as uh, an awakening or certainly an opportunity Greg for him to awaken to uh, an examination or re-examination of his values and uh, I think that's something that you can do a a discussion that you can lead um he'll attribute it perhaps to his getting old and frail and you wanting to learn from him uh lessons about life and its values <coughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. that would be great. What a wonderful compliment and what an opportunity to create even a new and better relationship with your dad. I would see it that way, first of all. This is an opportunity for you to know your father and the extended family in the same way. But this, primarily, at the heart of it is you and your dad. And ask him about values. Say, you know, are you looking at life differently? Okay. And does it have meaning and does it have purpose? And if he has a problem with that, tell him, remind him that, Maybe the most important values of his life have been his family. You know, your mom and his relationship with her, you. And uh, I recall you have a brother. I'm not sure how many others there may be in the family, but you remind him that that was his meaning and purpose to a large extent, anyway. And that you know he went to work every day and he worked hard to provide for you, and and it's an opportunity for you to thank him for that. That'll make him feel good. That'll make him, you know, rebound a little bit more. And, and what does he have to look forward to in life? Well, maybe the body does continue to age. I'm noticing it in my own body. Uh, as you get older, there's only so much you can do to stop that aging process. Do whatever you can, but, you know, the body gets older, and yet the heart and the mind expand that's really what it's all about so what does he have to look forward to he has to look forward to more time with his family he has to look forward to entering a phase of his life where he can re-examine his values and his personal nature and consider uh, that he can make new and different decisions about his values and and what's really important to him in life and uh, you know, again, it doesn't have to be an inquisition, Uh just sort of a casual, I would keep it as casual as possible, and uh, sort of uh, thought-provoking, I don't mean provocative, but tensive, what am I trying to say, it's just sort of casual, slow, easy conversation, you know, and... Um, I think that's what he has to look forward to. There is a tradition in the East that you divide your life into three parts. I wish we had it here in the West, but I can share it with all of you. The three parts of life are um the the childhood and youth where you grow and you learn and you become educated and sort of sets your cap, sets of goals in life. Then the second stage, the middle stage of life, is you go out and do family and career. Um, I don't have children. My family is me and my wife. Some people, children, are the most important part of their lives, and I, I honor that. Uh, I was a little more career-oriented, and I'm okay with that, too. I still am. In fact, uh, my wife, my family... Uh, is interested in the same stuff. So, we sort of integrate family and career. But that's the middle stage. You work hard, you make money, you you, uh, establish yourself, you create some sort of financial security, hopefully. And then the third stage is when you turn toward a spiritual study of the self. And in the East, many people leave their families at this point. You know, old men and old women, they just wander off. Less so now than in olden times, but this is when you become the ascetic, when you become, you know, like we set one day a week aside, supposedly, whatever day that may be, Saturday or Sunday, to study the non-physical or spiritual affairs. And yet, maybe the last third of our life, we should really devote our entire selves to that. So I would consider that, that after youth and uh, a life of family and career, that the third stage is introspection to better understand the self. To, As the Greeks said, know thyself. Uh, Shakespeare said to thine own self, be true. Uh, Michael Benner says, uh, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. That's our job. And most of us don't do it. We spend our whole lives trying to know and understand and influence and even control other people. But in spite of the fact that we're unique, you got fingerprint evidence and DNA proof of your uniqueness. Very few people are interested at all in knowing themselves. Okay, gosh, we got. I hope that's sufficient for you there, uh, Greg, and I hope your dad gets better and better and the attitudes, everything. So. Help him stay positive. Lorelei in Huntington Beach, Happy Independence Day, Freedom from Fear and Ignorance Day. Wonderful, Lorelai. Thank you. Uh, Randall in Oxnard, he wants Kenny Zweig's book title again, Longing, the Holy Longing. Okay. Kenny Zweig, the Holy Longing. Uh, Dale and Lisa in Burbank checking in, saying hi. Nice to hear from you guys. I really appreciate you being online. Uh, Dale goes on to make a contribution here. He says, uh, Symptoms of Inner Peace by Saskia Davis. He's recommending a book here. Symptoms of Inner Peace by Saskia, S-A-S-K-I-A, Saskia Davis. And uh, Dale's comment, He says, nothing like a. Little humor to add insight into the traits that we seek to emulate. Uh, be on the lookout for symptoms of inner peace. The hearts of a great many have already been exposed to inner peace, and it's possible that people everywhere could come down with it in epidemic proportions. <laughs> I think so. You know, Bush is so concerned with his legacy. Imagine how surprised he's going to be to find out that, uh, you know, his legacy was to teach us exactly what not to do and exactly who not to be, that we don't fight our fear by terrorizing everybody. We're going to eliminate terror by terrorizing you. Anyway, <clears throat> I think you're right. Epidemic proportions of peace. People are losing their tolerance for war and injustice. on. Rosani says uh, this could pose a serious threat to what was, uh, what has been. Hold on a sec here. Um uh, threat to what has up to now been a fairly uh, stable condition of conflict in the world. Yeah, the dinosaurs don't want change, right? They want things to stay exact. You, none of us think the oil company wants uh, to lower oil prices or to make oil more valuable. Uh, they want it in the ground, right? I thought that was hilarious about the war in Iraq that everybody you know, silently was hoping, well, the war was wrong, and and all these people are dying, and it's horrific, but under their breath, they're thinking, well, at least we'll get more oil. No, they (laughs) it's like they control the oil to keep it off the market, and this is the mentality of those who use fear and promote fear to, in this case, drive prices up. So Dale's right, a serious threat to what has up to now been a fairly stable condition of conflict. and and I would say fear in the world some signs and symptoms of inner peace Dale says number one a tendency to think and act spontaneously rather than on fears based on past experience so move to the now Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about that number two an unmistakable ability to enjoy each moment there it is again in a slightly different form Dale goes on number three a loss of interest in judging other people definitely and in its place a desire to Know yourself. Don't even judge yourself. Don't judge others. Don't judge yourself. Stop the judgment. Too much thinking. Go to the feeling. Feel yourself and then empathize through those feelings with other people. Judge not. Number four, Dale says, a loss of interest in judging the self. Well, I anticipated that. Very good, Dale. We're on the same link here. Uh, Loss of interest. Number five, in interpreting the actions of others and a loss of interest in conflict uh, so a lot of people love conflict. They really like a good fight. You know, let me have a sip of my water here. Hmm. A lot of folks—it's uh, how they know they're alive. You know, he not busy being born is busy dying. Well, if I can't contribute something positive, I'll just tear this place apart, and uh, I'll feel bad, but at least I know I'm alive. sort of an outlaw mentality. um Loss, let's see where they leave off. Seven, loss of ability to worry. This is a very serious symptom. You know, if you have what religious people call faith, what is this worry thing? And even the born-agains and the evangelicals who have a very separative view have a sense, probably too extreme, I think the other way, they, that that which is divine is a micromanager and. Uh, Chooses who's going to die in every tornado and every hurricane and every tsunami, and I don't believe that either. But uh, my understanding is that divinity is law, and um, well, anyway, I'm afraid that'd be another tangent. But if you have faith, why worry? You know? and it's not a denial of fear. It's just that things will work out. This is a universe designed. These things to work out. They always do. Every problem has a solution enfolded within it. Richard Bach. Remember that? Blue feather. Dale's got a couple more here. Frequent, uh, overwhelming episodes of appreciation. Isn't that nice? Dale, you gotta write. If this is yours, dude, you gotta write this down. I mean, you did, but. <laughs> Frequent, overwhelming episodes of appreciation. And I would say gratitude and love. You know to to just to, I did a lecture years and years and years ago called "Happiness for no Reason." Where do we get this wacky idea that you need a reason to be happy? I'll tell you where you got it from your head, which is <laughs> which sees its job as supplying the reasons but uh you don't need a reason to be happy; you can be happy spontaneously, indeed, that's our natural condition. Contended feelings of connection with others in nature. There it is again. Frequent attacks of smiling and increasing tendency to let things happen rather than make them happen. That's very down, go with the flow. I like it. Uh Twelve, an increased susceptibility uh, to the love extended by others as well as the uncontrollable urge to extend it. And finally, he has a little warning, a little cautionary note. Uh He said, if you have some or all of the above symptoms, uh, please be advised that your condition of inner peace may be so far advanced as to not be curable if you are exposed to anyone exhibiting any of these symptoms. Remain exposed at your own risk. Dale Burbank. Dale, thank you. That's that's very cool. That's wonderful. So many of you people are teachers, and if all it takes is me to encourage you to teach, then please do. A couple of more uh Jim and the Big Island, uh, like clouds passing in the sky, feelings and emotions will come and go. They will continue to come and go as long as we live. And The tolerance of the emotional feeling breeds familiarity and lessens the anxiety uh, that we previously attached to it. Yeah, uh, that's the Buddhist uh, sit with it. Just sit with it. Instead of being the emotion, be the one who watches the emotion. It's very, very profound. All the Dale stuff is that same thing said a different way. So, <laughs> if you're not sure what else to do, face it. Face your fear. Watch it. And as Jims is saying here, it'll change. Even depression. You know, depression is one of those feelings that seems to have with it an especially strong sense of, of chronicness. I'll say it that way, a sense that I will never go away. I'm here, and I'm here forever. You will always feel this way from now on. And then you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, I've been depressed in the past, and it always went away. And (coughs) depression says, no, no, this time I'm here to stay. I think we've got to call your attention to that because it's so insidious. But the truth is, even that goes away. Though there are, again, chronic uh Um, situations where people chronically or acutely suffer severe emotion, then you may want to get some help. Start with the counseling. Don't start with the drugs. Start with the counseling. Because it's often just a symptom of something you haven't seen yet. And to see it is to uh, accept it and take responsibility for it. Jim in Orchidland. Hello, Jim. I don't know where Orchidland is. It sounds like it's probably on Maui, but beautiful responsibility the ability to choose your response yeah that's it i like that john in pittsburgh i'm recognizing a reluctance in myself to change and is that a form of fear and ego protest we're having one hell of a thunderstorm right now in pittsburgh if you answer i might have to wait for the download i keep losing my isp well thunderstorm so in pittsburgh today well, um, yeah, exactly. any fear of change, all resistance, you know it's the resistance that hurts, not the change. <coughs> I want to say that again. it's not the change that hurts in our lives, it's the resistance this this is uh, gosh, this could be understood real strongly in movement awareness in those fields, um you know. A lot, and Feldenkrais. Certainly, yoga. I mean, what are the asanas and the stretching? But letting go of your physical resistance. You see? It's so funny. In the West, we try to build muscles by lifting weights and pumping muscles with more resistance and you end up looking like Colonel Schwarzenegger or something. And uh, the East says, well, there's a time for that. But there's also a time for letting go. Everything has its season. And the stretching and releasing your resistance to change is, you know, a strategy that requires peace and understanding, you know. Breathing and letting go and <clears throat> maybe even turning it into a little of a, a little adventure, you know. Was there fear in moving to Hawaii? People don't ask me that because they think, well, you just moved to paradise. What would... You know, you must be happy, it's a beautiful place. Well, it is a beautiful place, but it doesn't mean that I must be happy. I've got the same problems here that I had there, and new ones come up wherever you happen to be, there you are, right? So, uh yeah, it's a beautiful place and a wonderful place. But to pack up everything and put it in a crate on a boat and to move to the middle of the ocean, as beautiful as it is here, as wonderful as the opportunity that, that brought us here is, uh yeah, there was some some fear of moving and, and some resistance to all of that. Why? Because of all that was unknown. And that's what the fear is. And um, Jim, another Jim, says, Michael, it's me out here in Puna, Orch- orchid land. I live in Ali'i. I I have to look that up, Jim. I don't know where that is. Puna? I'll look that up later. Ali'i. Thank you. Cool. Be interested to know how you got on board. And I want to remind all you guys to invite your friends. Many of you have been doing that. We get signups every week. And, uh, again, the newsletter is free and this webinar is free. And the archives of the newsletter and the audio archives of this event—all is without charge of any sort. So, I think you could feel free to uh, help us virally promote this because this information is so well needed. And here today, I mean, look—we pulled on Christianity and Judaism and Islam, and we've talked about Taoism and Buddhism and, and Hinduism and all of it. Of course, part of the ancient and ageless wisdom of all times. Well let me refresh once more and then we uh we'll do a little uh yeah, that's it. Let's do a, a little meditation here before we run out of time. I like to keep it under ninety minutes, so you'll close your eyes and relax provided that's appropriate for you to do now. Take a nice slow deep breath, pulling in strength and power. And create and sense a feeling of relaxation. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Feel the letting go. Almost like butter softening on a warm day. To the deepest core of your body. Relax. Take another second third or fourth, slow deep breath pulling in strength and power hold for a moment and as you exhale, feel the letting go, muscle tension falling away imagine yourself in your mind's eye in a beautiful place of perfect peace it could be an enchanted forest and you're deep in this beautiful, mystical, magical enchanted forest. You could be in a warm, sunny meadow or sitting in a grassy spot beneath a shade tree. But allow my voice to go with you. As you feel yourself connected to as if rooted in the earth. Plugged in connected to the common ground of the one life. And at the same time, receptive to a downward precipitation, a gentle flow of spirit into matter, as if you are the spiritual lightning rod, you are the, your spine is the connection between spirit and matter, between father and mother aspect that energy comes in the top of your head like a gentle rain moves down the spine and throughout the body opening all of the centers and you feel more radiant already you feel less like a heavy bag of material and more like the emanation of light all sparkly and dancing and free to emanate and radiate. In these levels of mind, reflect simply upon the principles, the most basic principles that we've discussed today. All fear is a feeling or set of feelings that corresponds to things we do not understand. All fear is a function of confusion and ignorance. And everything that hurts emotionally, from grief and loss and sadness and depression and anger and hatred and contempt, envy and jealousy and greed... Are all any any negative feeling is based in fear and represents something you don't know and the heart and soul of what you don't know is you, the self. To know thyself is to be free from not only the fear but all these hurt feelings that it supports. Yet like symptoms like physical pain and discomfort These are symptoms, emotional symptoms of our condition. Face it. Look at it. Seek to understand it. Learn from it. In relaxed states, accept responsibility. Seek to understand. And as that understanding comes to you, sometimes in a flash, sometimes much more slowly, little bits and pieces as you're ready, you'll never get more than you're ready to handle, you will find yourself being lifted up without any effort at all, just automatically, magnetically lifted out of that vicious cycle of anxiety and confusion, of fear and ignorance, lifted up toward and even by a gentle upward spiral of peace and understanding. That's what spiritual love is peace and understanding. And it lifts you up. Now, maybe an hour later, maybe a day later, you find yourself back in the fear and the confusion, a different event. Something happened, something should have happened, it didn't happen, somebody said something. Somebody should have said something but didn't, and here we are back in our anxiety and our confusion. Call it what it is, fear and ignorance. Know that the ignorance came out of the fear but created more fear, which created more ignorance and more fear. The only way to get out of it is to face it, to look at the fear, to say, what part of me do I not understand? And simply by looking at it in a state of deep relaxation a meditation, a lot like this, open and receptive, you get an understanding. Ask yourself now to reflect upon a time recently when you were hurt or shamed or humiliated. Recently, in just the last few days, that you felt some negative emotion. Tell yourself, it'll be easy to remember as you look at it even more deeply. Let the feeling come upon you, whatever it is. Whatever is the negative emotional hurt. Let it come upon you. Feel it. And in the natural states of expanded awareness that become available when we close our eyes in this way and relax, you we'll get a little insight. So look at it just a little further. What does this fear say about me? What could I learn about myself from this emotional symptom of my condition? You can even dialogue with yourself. You could create a character that represents the fear and have a discussion and say, what do you want? Why are you haunting me? What can I learn from you? And then the magic happens, which is as the light comes in and you begin to see, sometimes a dawning, sometimes a light bulb popping on, sometimes you would be thunderstruck. The landscape will be fully illumined and changed forevermore by the aha whether it's just a gradual dawning or a revelation it vaporizes the fear and all of the hurt it was supporting and you feel yourself being drawn up toward ever greater understanding in peace inner peace allows you to understand, which creates more inner peace, which provides more insight and more safety. Surrender to it. Surrender the ego to it. You don't you certainly don't surrender, you couldn't surrender your spiritual self, but surrender the separative self, the fright self. What in religion is often called evil or even dressed up as if it were a being called Satan is fear the fear of not knowing who you are it's the ego that doesn't want you to know the truth of who you are it, it just wants you to be the ego and that's okay, you need an ego but just manage it like a child that acts out just manage it, control it, comfort it give your ego a hug once in a while say that's alright, we'll take care of you Times I need you in this world of form. And then bring this feeling with you effortlessly back into the room as you reorient toward the sound of my voice. Tell yourself this process will be easy to remember and easy to practice. Just simply reflecting as if looking into a pool of still clear water. Asking the question, why am I afraid? Why am I confused? What, what can I learn about me? And then bring that insight and understanding with you so gently and effortlessly as you imagine yourself floating up slowly toward the sound of my voice. Now as you become ready, take a nice slow deep breath. And as you exhale and it feels right for you, open your eyes wide awake and alert back in the room with a nice full memory of what we just did and the realization that uh, you can practice that and get even better and better and better at it well we've gone long today but i sure enjoyed it and i hope you did too and of course want to wish you the happiest of holiday weekends and hope you enjoy what's left of it and that you'll make it a point to join us whenever you can also know the replay is available by podcast, also on my website, uh, theagelesswisdom.com. you see a link down in the lower right. Just click on Homepage, then Web Teleconference. Use that link also to get your friends signed up for the free newsletter. Again, theagelesswisdom.com or michaelbenner.com, and click on Free Newsletter. Leave me an email and your first name. That's all I need, first name and email. You can always unsubscribe later if you'd like, and we'll make sure you get the newsletter every Friday, and most weeks a reminder on Sunday morning as well, okay? Um, The only other thing to tell you about is that we are maybe six weeks. August 28th is the launch of our improved, (laughs) new and improved website, and I'm really excited to tell you about it. But, uh, I can't. I don't have the time and it's a little premature anyway. But, uh, to learn more about, uh, our premium podcast that Steve and I do every week, a one hour long, including the guided imagery exercise, really great stuff. We, we're, we're so happy and proud of what we're doing and, uh, making it available for just 99 cents. So if you're interested in the premium podcast with Steve, uh, you get the eavesdrop on the two of us chatting. It's pretty cool. It's very different than any kind of personal development stuff you've ever heard before. Uh Go to com. Just click that big button that says wage inner peace. Okay, wage inner peace now. Thanks, got to run. We're almost out of time. Thanks for being with us. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.